Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Hello, listeners. First of all, I got to say, I hope you all had a killer, killer Halloween 2023. I know I did. I got to hand out candy to a bunch of little ghouls. I was pleasantly surprised at how many trick-or-treaters I actually had in my neighborhood. It was so cool seeing people out and being into the holiday. So that was really awesome. Secondly, happy November. We are going into the holiday season which for some people I know causes a little bit of gloom. But for me, that means I can start watching my holiday horror films. Uh, You know, you guys know that I love my Christmas-themed holiday horror films, and I'm super excited because we have a Thanksgiving, finally, fucking-themed slasher film hitting theaters, Eli Ross Thanksgiving, which super excited about that. But yeah, for for today's episode, first of all, we got to acknowledge the fact that Roger, uh, my my trusty, lovely co-host Roger, will be away for the next few episodes. Uh, Not 100% sure when he's going to return, but he is dealing with a lot of stuff right now. Filming Meet. He's filming the final portion of Meet this November. We're super excited about that. Um, but also him him and his partner, Gustavo, just bought a house there in Cleveland, Ohio. And they are just preoccupied with, with gutting that out and getting it ready to move in. So I wanted to take something off of his plate. And it is the podcast. And I know that um, you know a couple months ago when he was deep into production to Meet um, or with Meet, I had a whole string of of episodes with guest hosts, and I think that they went over really well. We covered some great films, some films that I might not have ever chose for the podcast. So when 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 Roger uh, decided that he was going to step away here for a little bit, I, I pulled up my my phone, my social media accounts. I'm like, who can I get on to help helm this? This endeavor, and the very first person I contacted was none other than my guest co-host tonight, Mikey Manshot. Mikey, hello, hello, Dark Nighters. I'm not sure what you call your listeners, but that sounds cute. It does. You know what? You just, you just, you just uh, <laughs> helmed a, a a name for our listeners. I feel like like what like Beyonce has the Bayhive, Taylor has the Swifties. Now we have the Dark Nighters. <laughs> yes, I love it. Love it. But uh, thank you so much for for coming on the show, uh, agreeing to do this. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited. Um, I love you guys, and I've talked to you guys for quite a while, and we have similar interests when it comes to movies, and we've always just kind of talked shit about movies. So why not do it on a podcast? Exactly, exactly. And why don't you, uh, for listeners that might not be familiar with you, why don't you tell them a little bit about you, what you do in the horror realm? Um, I know you have your own podcast, so why don't you 
share that with the listeners as well. For sure. So um, I am a co-host on a podcast called Slashers Podcast. Uh, you can listen to it wherever fine podcasts are sold. And right now we're doing the the theme of uh, November to Dismember, where we talk about typically it's going to be cannibal type horror films, but really it's about any horror films where people get gutted like a turkey. Um, <laughs> who, who doesn't love that? Exactly. And you mentioned holiday horror coming up. That's one of my favorite subgenres of horror. Doesn't really matter what holiday. I just, I'm a festive queen, I guess. And um, yeah, you know, we also, I'm traipsing into the world of filmmaking as you and Troy, I'm sorry, you and Roger also are. So definitely understand the stress that Roger's going through. I hope that uh, everything goes super well. And I'm really excited to see Meat and Hollow Lake. So, yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, meat is meat is shaping up to be um, quite the 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 gay overload slasher flick. And I'm here for it. I'm here for it. It's what we need. Um, it Really, it is. It is. And we've had this discussion. Me and Roger have had this discussion on the podcast many times about it's, it's there. It's, it's so surprising, surprising to me that there aren't more gay themed horror films out there when there are so many gay horror fans and so many gay horror filmmakers. Um, it seems like there's only a handful of gay horror filmmakers that are actually attempting to do gay themed horror. So it's refreshing to see uh, some of them just dive right into it, like the St. Drogo guys and Roger just making queer horror, um, unabashedly queer horror. That's I mean, it's great to see. Um, and yeah, you mentioned Hollow Lake. That is my unabashedly queer horror uh, <laughs> endeavor that, uh, is definitely the, the gayest thing I've ever, uh, I've ever written. So I, I'm super <laughs> excited to get that, uh, filmed in this, this summer. So yeah. And you're, yeah. you're, you're getting, you know, the filmmaking bug as well, which is awesome because we definitely need more queer horror filmmakers. We need more filmmakers, horror filmmakers that are actually horror fans, because I do think that that makes a difference. Do you feel like, because, Roger, you and myself are all similar in age. Do you feel like if we, if there's an uprising in queer horror, do you think it's going to be uh, split between what the younger generation likes versus what the older generation likes? Because we've had this discussion before. My film that I'm writing, it's not, I wouldn't call it queer horror, but there's a lot of queer elements to it. Uh, and I've talked to you about like, I don't know if this is going to go over with the young kids because everyone's so sensitive these days. Um, and so it's just been an interesting conversation of we bring out all these queer horror movies, but are we then going to split <laughs> down the middle with the younger generation versus the older generation? But, but I think that's the case with, with just any horror, whether it's gay themed or not. I think you're, you're, you see a division between generations, right? Like any horror film that comes out seems to always have a, a divisive element surrounding it with the younger generation maybe questioning something and then the older generation saying, oh, no, this is just, you know, shock value stuff. I think you see it with anything. And kind of what I learned or what my philosophy is, is... And I, you know, I've told Roger this, I've told other filmmakers this, that, that ask me about my opinions on things. You're never going to please everybody. Do you know what I mean? There's always going to be somebody that, especially in today's climate, good grief, there's always going to be somebody that is 
find something offensive or, or takes issue with, with something or takes issue with a word you use in your film or a word you use on your podcast. We, we've experienced that. We've gotten messages about specific words we've said on the podcast that people find problematic or offensive. And I feel like, you know, I'm putting my art, my, my, my thoughts out there and I can't necessarily worry about, you know, I mean, unless it's like blatantly, blatantly, obviously offensive, obviously I'm not going to avoid that, but I just learned a long time ago. You just, you're never going to please everybody. And if it's something subtle, something little, you know what, go with your vision, but you are right. There, There is going to be, you know, a, I think, uh, definitely with the influx of queer horror, you're definitely going to have, I think, some sort of, I don't want to say backlash, but yeah, there'll be, there'll be issues. Yeah. Just because inherently queer horror, it's highly sexual usually. And that's just because sometimes that's just how life is. And even in just like mainstream horror, horror in general is sexual. They go hand in hand. And even in mainstream horror, I'm seeing a lot of newer horror fans not really uh, appreciating it. So it's kind of weird to see. <laughs> it is weird. Well, you know, I mean, that's the thing is you look at some of the films from the seventies, eighties, it was, they were all very sexual. Um, it was, it was part of the, part of the genre. A lot of times, I mean, look at, I mean, look at even films that are considered like classy uh, cinema. Like I'm, I'm thinking of like, don't look now with Donald Sutherland and um, Julie Christie that has one of the most, prolonged uh graphic sex scenes in cinematic history and i don't know if you could get away with something like that today i mean today you have people that are saying that you know nudity doesn't even need to be in movies period because it's you know exploiting the actor i mean so yes i think attitudes and and things change but yeah horror sexuality i think go a lot of times hand in hand and we see that with with so so many films that use sexuality sexual you know as a theme an underlying theme um and you know it, it is interesting how how times change but um shifting gears a little bit you you know when we when i invite a guest on i usually let them or i don't usually i let them <laughs> you know <laughs> come up with the films that they that they want to talk about and you suggested a few and this particular title caught my attention and it is really the reason I was like, you know what, this would be really cool to do is because we generally do not cover films this recent. Um, if you look at our catalog of films we've covered, we don't cover stuff that that's recent. And this film just came out uh, a couple weeks ago um, and it is definitely being talked about. So I was like, you know what, this could be a really good film to do and it is what film did you choose mikey okay so i apologize if i mess it up because i'm always saying it wrong i think it's when evil lurks right it is when evil lurks i've heard people okay. I, i've heard people or seen people type where evil lurks uh yeah and it, it's easy it's easy to get but it is when evil lurks uh folks if you haven't seen it yet because like i said this is a new release this is something we generally don't do this new of a release if you haven't seen it don't listen because i don't want this film to be spoiled for you i think this is a film you need to go into knowing the least amount about as possible would you not agree 
I do. And, you know, it, a good segue between this conversation we were just having and now is that this is definitely a hot button movie. Like it's going to upset some people. I'm not a big fan of trigger warnings in the horror genre, but even on my letterbox review for this movie, I was like, hey, if you're sensitive to some things, just be careful. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I went into it. I'm I'm lucky. I I went into it when you had suggested it. I had already watched it. I had literally I had watched it a few days before you suggested it, and so I had already seen it. But I was really lucky that I went into it knowing virtually nothing about it. Uh, I knew that it was a possession film, quote unquote. Uh, that's all I knew. So I was going into it expecting something like The Last Exorcism or what the possession or the exorcism of Emily Rowe, something like that. But that is not what this film is. Um, had you seen it when you suggested it? I got the impression you hadn't. No, I didn't see it. I actually was using you as an excuse to make myself watch it because okay. <laughs> I watch so like I find myself only watching movies that we cover on the podcast because we, we have a weekly show. So sometimes I want to see a movie and I'm like, oh, I don't have time because I have to watch this other thing for the, the show. And so. No, I sympathize with that because I'm the same way. Like there's all these new releases come out and people are like, have you seen this yet? Have you seen that yet? I'm like, no, the last movie I watched was Halloween too, because we covered it on the podcast. <laughs> and you know, I've mentioned <laughs> exactly. many times that I don't, when we cover a film on the podcast, I don't watch it just once. I mean, I watch it three or four times. This one, I, I literally watched four times. So yeah, it's time consuming. Last night was like, after I watched this, I was like, you know, I'm going to watch something I had. I'm just going to watch something. And it was uh, Dario Argento's film, Dark Glasses, which has been out now for like two years. And I have not seen it. And I'm, like, I'm watching it. But this film, guys, yes, I would say I am not a fan of trigger warnings either on horror because horror is supposed to be horrific, right? Um, that's my mentality. Uh, you should kind of know what you're getting into if you're going into a horror film, folks. Uh, but this one, yeah, I can see why it's causing some stir and why, I guess, a trigger warning may be appropriate for specific scenes in this film because this film has probably some of the biggest balls <laughs> of any film I've seen in a long time. Yeah, and... When I saw, because I saw the trailer, because this was in the theater for a very short amount of time, and I'm sad I didn't get to watch it in the theater. But all I knew going into it, like you said, was it was just a possession movie. And really, I hope that filmmakers kind of see the this the way that this movie was advertised in the trailer, because these movies that give away everything in the trailer are suffering, whereas we have this one that really didn't give much just gave enough to be interested and you go watch it and it's like you know you ha you haven't seen 98 percent of the movie you just with that small part that's in the trailer and i love when they don't give away everything not that there's some huge twist like barbarian or anything but just you showed me enough to be interested and i was my expectations were exceeded after i watched the film Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. The, and that's why I said the least you know about this film going into it the best. So again, if you have not watched this film, please stop the episode right now. Go go seek it out. It's on Shudder. If you have Shudder, it's there to, to view in all of its glory. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I, shall we get into to the film? Yeah, well, I just want to mention real quick, have you seen the previous film of this director i have not i know i have not terrified right 
Yes. I have not. I've heard really good things about it. And I always, you know, I, have you seen it? Yes, that was. And so to be honest, when I saw the trailer, it looked creepy. I'm not a huge fan of possession movies. because I feel like everything's just trying to do a different exorcist. Um, but knowing that it was the guy that did terrified, not terrifier, everybody terrified, <laughs> which terrifier is good in its own way. Terrified is very, it's just a different type of horror film. Um, it, it, it was, that was probably the last time I was actually scared watching something because I was an adult. <laughs> so um, very good. But yes, I've heard that it's scary and I want to check it out. See, maybe I'll do that after we get done recording this episode. Although with daylight savings, it literally feels like it's nine o'clock at night right now. And it's like four. So oh, I know it's <laughs> I ridiculous. Hate, I hate it. But yeah. So when evil lurks, um, yeah. So I, I, I think the film does a really smart thing with, with how it opens. There isn't really a lot of uh, exposition especially in terms of characterization of our two main characters, right? I mean, when the film opens, we are thrown kind of right into the action. And we are introduced to brothers, Pedro and Jaime, who are awoken or disturbed in the middle of the night by, by gunshots, five gunshots they hear um, outside their, their home. And they live just kind of in this remote area. Uh, this is argentina right isn't this an argentinian argentinian film yes yes so um, we're assuming it takes place in argentina and you know of course this this piques their interest so they you know they they, they kind of talk about like oh, could it be a poacher well no pedro says because a poacher would not fire that many shots because it would bring too much attention to them so what ends up happening is they go down the next morning to investigate and i mean Again, I love the fact that this film just throws us right into this world and, and what is happening without much, like like I said, exposition. Because we are within three minutes of the film, we are seeing a body that has been <laughs> cut in half, guts hanging out. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's pretty graphic, and as this film is, this film is pretty graphic. Period. So if you are someone that's sensitive to that, this film is definitely, uh, I would say, pushes some envelopes when it comes to gore and depictions of it. But I, I mean, I just like I, I like the fact that these guys are just thrown into this mystery. And what, what I also find interesting, uh, Mikey, is that they don't seem like that, I, I guess, bothered by the fact that there's this cut in half body <laughs> laying in their field. They're just like, oh, it could have been a, a puma. It could have been this. It could have been Ruiz. Yeah. I mean, they, they don't seem like I'd be freaking out. You know, my gas is <laughs> freaking out. Yeah, I guess it's just that farm life, right? Because this it, these little towns, they a lot of them rely on land and farming. And so, I mean, not that farmers always find dead bodies in there, you know, but <laughs> they typically you tend to be a little less sensitive to gore whenever you're kind of grown up around like, you know, taking animals to the butcher and things like that. And to your comment about gore, yes, this movie is very gory, but it also has a lot of bodily fluids, uh, which is also, I feel not the same as gore, but like a side step into gore, but still gross. So, cause in the beginning we have that, that man and it's <sighs> very icky. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like this nonchalantness that these two have because it just, it's painting us a very, I think, distinct 
setting for this film. And I think that was really important to do. Like we were just, like I said, we were just thrust into these two brothers lives. And you're right. When you talk about like farming and land, obviously land is super important to them because they even have a conversation about that later on, about how land is so important and that somebody's trying to take over their land and they have to leave. If they leave their land, they have nothing. But when they find this body, they also find a, uh, like a, I don't know, like a suitcase or something that's overturned. And we see like, there's this gold, contraption that actually I really like the fact that we see it here because it comes into play later on in the film. And I didn't even, I didn't even catch it the first time I watched it, but then we also, they also find a notebook and what they, what they kind of discern is the fact that this person must have been going to uh, visit their neighbor, Maria Elena uh, at her little shack that's on the property of, of Ruiz, who is their neighbor. And they, they, they head to her little shack and she comes out and they, they interrogate her, ask her, were you expecting someone? Because there's, if you were, they're not going to show up. (laughs) And she's very like, I also like the fact that she's very like blunt with them. She's like, well, yeah, it's somebody who was supposed to come and kill my son. Yeah. I mean, everything in this film, like that I would find a little like shocking is just played so like calmly, like. She's like, yeah, some some of you are supposed to come kill my son. And this is when they go in, the son Uriel, and they see him. And yes, this is disgusting. I mean, this is kind of reminding me of, have you ever seen Weird Science? Yeah, a long time ago. Remember uh, Bill Paxton, Chet, his character gets turned into that thing (laughs) and it's like spitting up pus and shit. That's kind of what it reminded me of. Yeah, it was giving me, it was giving me very... uh, dead alive vibes peter jackson uh because the the practical effects they use is is great and i think they they took a risk in like you said thrusting us into this story but also taking it as far as because the reason why she's like nonchalant about it is because the world knows about this stuff there's a term for it there's processes for it and as the audience we don't know but we know that they're using terms like they're familiar terms, but we don't use them the same way. So, you know, something's going on that we haven't found out yet. Yes. And to your point, I really like the fact that they're already like, is this established set of, of rules? It's like people are familiar with what this is. This isn't like uh, like your typical possession film or your typical like zombie film when, when, when people are just becoming possessed and nobody knows what's going on. It's like, oh, how the hell is this? Ha-? Like, no, they know like this. These the people in this world know that this happens. In fact, there are there, there are rules. There are all kinds of things. And what we find out, yes, is her son, Uriel, has become possessed. And they refer to the possessed as the rotten. And, and I can see why, because this looks like a fucking huge hunk of rotted roast beef, this guy laying on the bed. <laughs> I mean, there's With pus. There's pus coming out of him. It is, it is disgusting. Um, she said she's called somebody. Uh, she told like the police and like the mayor about this like a year ago. So he has literally been in this bed just like, bloated and gross for a year and finally when the cleanser shows up to to kill him the cleanser is is killed and that's a okay so they also refer to the people that kill the rotten or the possessed as cleansers so we have cleansers we have rottens again yes there's this whole already established world in this film and i think it's i think that it really again does a really good job of putting us the audience member right in the 
thrust of things and feeling like we are definitely a part of it. They they also go to the the police. So they leave Mary Elena's house and they go to the police and there's this big confrontation between Pedro and the police officers where the police officers are very like, yeah, so we don't, what, what do you want us to do about it? We called, we told the mayor a year ago and there's this weird um, sort of story that is threaded through with the Pedro character. It's never super elaborated on, but as you, if you watch the movie a couple times, you kind of get the idea that he, that he's had some maybe like mental health issues, especially in dealing with his ex-wife and kids. Right. Uh, because the cop is, the cops are already like very like you, you you have no business being in here. You you've caused enough trouble. I mean, there's all these subtle little things that he has that he has some sort of issues going on. I would just wish maybe it would have been explored a little bit more because the one thing that I find with this film that is a little bit uh, lacking for me is just like the characterization, L- giving me characters that I can form some sort of. Uh, feelings or, or care for. Does that make sense? Yeah, because at this point, the only thing I'm thinking is which brother I find hotter. Uh, definitely Jaime. <laughs> wait, wait. Oh yeah, Jaime. Yeah, yeah. He's. But you know what? Uh, was his name Pedro? Pedro. Uh, yeah. You know, Pedro can get it too. Maybe if Jaime wasn't around. So, and we see him naked. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like if he shaved, yeah, he would definitely be, you know, he just, Pedro, I mean, I think that that's the purpose of the character is he looks like he's just, um, oh, he just kind of maybe has, I don't know, just kind of going through the daily motions of life and doesn't really care because he's like, yeah, he's kind of unshaven. He looks kind of maybe a little bit unkept. And then you find out that he has all these issues with his ex-wife and his kids. So, um so there's this moment then after they tell the the police officers about uh, Uriel and the police officers basically just dismiss them that they finally go to their neighbor Ruiz and basically tell Ruiz, hey, there is a possessed in, on your property in Mary Elena's shack. Police said it's not our problem or it's not their problem. They can't do anything about it. Um, and of course, this is when Ruiz starts to make some assumptions that they are like doing this or they planted this rotten on his property so that they could take his land. Yeah. And then he's like, well, we either have to get rid of the rotten or we have to, we have to leave. We have to give up our land. Yeah. Cause apparently you're not supposed to move them or something. Yeah. There's all these rules, right? It's almost like gremlins yeah. to an extent. Like there's rules, uh, but there's still kind of like there's lore that isn't really fully explained. Well, yeah. Well, and it's, yes, there's, there's, yeah, there, you're right. Like uh, we get rules, we get like a basic knowledge of what these are, but there, yeah, I, I kind of wanted to know like, where are the, like, where, how, how does the, do the demons or whatever they are, how do they choose who they possess? Um, I know animals are supposed to be a big thing about it because even in the scene, Ruiz says that, um, because one of the, one of the rules is something about don't be around animals or don't trust animals, which <laughs> woo, we know that's the truth in this film, don't we? Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, he says like all of his dogs ran away. Um, 
earlier that year. And that's when he kind of Mm -hmm. first got the clue that there could have been like a possessed on his property. So there's, yeah, there's all this stuff that's like, it's kind of spoon fed to us, but nothing is really ever fleshed out. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's, it doesn't make the movie like, you know, less, uh, effective. Uh, I'm really just kind of like nitpicking at things because, um, you know, when you thrust us into this world that seems to be already established, I think, you know, a little bit more elaboration would would have been nice. Yeah, and because they start, like, I, I, I'm curious, but I'm glad they didn't show it because it would have been too involved. But I'm curious what big cities look like because when they're telling people, they're like, no, like they don't come out this far. And it seems like this is like a big city issue that the world knows about. So when... Uriel shows up or ends up getting possessed and turns into a rotted people almost, or even the, the guy's mother is like, no, like, are you sure that's what you saw? Cause it doesn't happen in our little town. And so I thought that meant that he was just the only one, but as we find out more start showing up. So I thought Uriel may have died somewhere and it went somewhere else, but I guess there's just more demons around that. No one was really aware of. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like yes. The there it's it's mentioned that that getting away from big cities is is one way to sort of sa- safeguard yourself from these things because yeah, they don't like to come out this far, but apparently they do. Maybe they're just they're just overtaking um the the world apparently. I I don't know. So obviously that evening this is really 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 eating at ruez he is um having dinner with his very pregnant wife when he just snaps and he grabs his gun and he heads over to mary elena's to kill uriel um and this is like when we are kind of introduced to one of the big rules that you cannot shoot these things you cannot use firearms with these things because it'll just make the possession that much that much worse and it'll like backfire and you will die your soul will can be consumed so she begs him please it has to be done by a professional but then these demons are very smart or these possessed are very smart because rua uh uriel starts to beg ruas to kill him and he says if you don't kill me i'm gonna come out of my this room and i'm going to your wife's stomach and i'll come out in the form of your unborn child which very clever because it cuts then we don't see what happens. We see him holding the gun and it cuts to him in his truck crying. So we don't know if he actually killed Uriel or not, but what ends up happening is everyone shows up, including his wife. And we find out that he did not kill Uriel. Yeah. And I actually took it kind of a different way and maybe I may have seen it incorrectly, but I, when Uriel, cause there's some possessed that when they are possessed, they're asking you to kill them or they want you to kill them. And to me, it seemed like that was the demon trying to get you to kill them because killing them. Um, I know you said it kind of like can backfire, but I kind of took it more of like that movie fallen where when you kill them, it releases their spirit and they can go into another one. That could be it. But yes, I think you, you're onto something there as well. I was a little bit confused by that aspect of the film, honestly, is like if, if you shoot them, what specifically happens? Like, because as we find out, 
people are, are, are very well aware that if you shoot these things, that something bad is going to happen. Like, so are you, are, so it's either like, to me, it's either like, if you shoot them, then you're, you're going to be killed by the demon or like you said, you're the demon is going to then possess you. Um, I was a little bit confused by that aspect, but, uh, Ruiz did not kill Ariel, but instead he says, you know, we have to, he has to go. So he, <laughs> he enlists, uh, Pedro and Jaime to help him. And what they do is they, they try to move him in this scene. Good grief. I mean, I'm not being mean, but like, think of like, a, like, I don't know, like this thing is obviously it's bloated. It probably weighs about six, 700 pounds. You got these three skinny rail, skinny as a rail men trying to pick it up. There's this point where they drop him on the floor and he falls over and like pus comes out of his stomach and it's just so fucking disgusting yeah it really is i don't know how they got him into the car but they finally did yeah they put him in the bed of a truck <laughs> uh, yeah they put him in the bed of a truck and they they drive away with him oh uh, and i just feel like it's there's so many like just bad decisions that are made in this film by these people for pe- the people for these people to know these fucking rules like good grief they they fuck up every chance they get right so oh, it's really yeah. hard to like be like, oh, well, I feel bad for that happened to you because you brought it on yourself. Like, especially the Pedro guy. Good grief. I mean, he does some stupid shit in this film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of his fault why everything happened with his family. <laughs> I know. So, so they're driving down the road. They're just distracted talking about where they're going to put this rotten thing. When this kid on a bike is just like in the middle of the road. <laughs> so they have to swerve and when they swerve to avoid hitting the kid the car goes kind of into a ditch so when they all climb out to to try to make sure everything is okay they realize that uriel is no longer in the truck yeah he he rolled out (laughs) but okay so to me it wouldn't be that hard to find him right i mean can these things walk i'm assuming this this thing can't walk so it, it fell out it's probably like to me, it would not have been that hard to go back and find it. I think it, so I'm trying to remember. So when they swerved to hit the kid, I think that's when, well, we know that's when Uriel fell out, but they drove for like another hour after that. And cause he was even like, how far ago was it when that happened? And they were like, I don't know. And so I, I, I think that, I don't know. I, I think that Ruiz may have just been like, hey, out of sight, out of mind. It He's gone. And I thought that that swerve and Uriel falling out of the truck may have killed him, which is why the next thing is possessed. But I was wrong. Yeah, no, you're right. They, you're right. I was thinking that they got out at that moment, but they did not. You're right. They, they get out when um, Ruiz sees like a, a canal that they can put the body in. And when they go to get the body to put it in the canal, the body's gone. But still, like... I want to know how Uriel ultimately gets to where he gets to at the end of the film. Like, did those kids drag his big, that tub of lard all the way to the school? I don't know. I don't know if these things can walk. I don't know what. <laughs> My theory is that the kid that they almost hit was, I don't know what those kids were. Oh, I don't know if kids. they were. Fuck those kids. That's what they are. Yeah. Something is going on with those kids, but I feel like that was one of them and they probably rolled him into the school. Oh, can you imagine coming across a group of kids rolling this big thing? 
a big man, a big bloated man through a field. I'd be like, oh, okay. I mean, yeah, you used to live in Texas, didn't you? See, that <laughs> I've seen a lot of weirder things in Texas <laughs> than that. We agree. Uh, but fun fact: when I started watching this movie, I laid down to go to sleep, and I was like, oh, I'll just watch it before bed. Um, this is when I first turned it off because I was like, I don't know if I can watch this before bed. I will tell you because it took me three times. I will tell you when the second time I turned it off was. <laughs> Oh, I can imagine. I could probably guess. You probably. Um, who? Yeah. So they. Yeah. So they decide. You know what? We're not going to go back and look for him. He's out here in the middle of nowhere. He's wherever he fell out. It's still far enough away from us that we're fine. So they go home. They go home. There's a little montage of each of them doing various things, like Pedro's taking a shower and Jaime's like you know having a drink and. Um, Rez is home, you know, watching the thunderstorm come through town. Uh, but the next morning, his wife is frantically calling him outside. And when he goes out there, she points to this goat. He has a whole herd of goats, but there's a specific one that is just staring sinisterly at them. So somehow this goat gets possessed. Now, do you think, because this is another question I had, do you think that like, the fact that do you think the fact that he moved Uriel is what allowed this goat to become possessed because they broke one of the rules? I think so. I think it seems like since everything was all good right before this instance, the more that they broke rules, the more appearances of the rotten would show up. Because this is upon my first watch, I was like, oh, when Uriel fell out of the car, he probably died. And then the spirit went into the scope. Um, and this is the the part that the trailer highlights. So we, we and, and I also don't know what the wife saw because I was like, it's just a goat. <laughs> it's looking at you. <laughs> that, thank you. Thank you. I was wondering the same thing. I was like, OK, because. You don't even realize, like, I didn't even really realize what specific goat it was until he fires yeah. his gun. But she's, like, freaking out. I wonder if, like, they're supposed to, maybe it's just, it's, maybe we're just supposed to infer that there's something that, because these, because these people live in this world with this knowledge that they know um, when something is possessed. I don't know. But he shoots the gun. He runs against his gun, shoots it, and all the goats run off except this one. And it is, you know, it's a sinister looking goat and it just sits there and stares at him and he pulls the gun on it and his wife, you know, begs him, don't shoot it. Don't shoot it. If you shoot it, our souls are going to be damned. And, you know, she's pregnant. She's like the soul of our child is going to be damned. And so he's pointing this gun and this goat just walks right up to the gun, like to the point where it puts its head right to the gun barrel. That was pretty cool. It is. It's like this goat is like daring him. It's like, fuck yeah, do it. Do it, mother. If I dare you. And it makes its bah. And he (laughs) fucking blows this goat's head off. Yeah. First trigger warning. (laughs) Well, okay. I don't know how I don't know how surprised this next thing. This got me. Like, I was like, what? I did not expect this. It happened so fucking quickly. Oh, because he shoots the goat. The goat falls on the ground. We get a, a a camera angle straight at his face. He's looking down at the goat. And I'm just, I mean, literally out of, there's no warning out of nowhere. The fucking ax smashes right into the side of his face. Yeah. Probably the most, I, I don't want to say realistic, but 
Definitely the first time I've seen that in a film look that realistic, I guess. What? Can I tell you, I, I watched it several times because it does look unrealistic. I'm like, how did they do this? This this is inc- a, a great effect. Not only a great like startle effect, where I was literally like shook when this, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. I was not expecting it, but it looks great. It does, because it's not like typical 80s blood splashing everywhere. There's actually not really a lot of blood. It's the realism that's shocking. And it's like, because that's probably what it would really look like if it happened. Um freaked me out oh yeah yeah we're not taught yeah i mean it's very very realistic i mean you see the axe go into the side pulls it out real quick he falls over i mean yeah it's not a there's not a waterfall of blood squirting everywhere and it's his wife his wife fucking axes him in the face and and then she proceeds to kneel down on the ground uh, and you see this image on the poster art that's on shutter she positions the axe towards her face and uh starts hacking her face yeah, with this axe multiple times um until she, until she falls over i mean it go the, the final hack it like embeds itself into her face i'm like oh my god so this would be horrifying i could not do this to myself so my question is in this world that we're in in this film like these people have to somehow have knowledge of how fucking bad it could be for you if you break one of these rules because i don't know mike could you kneel on the ground and hack yourself in the face a bunch of times oh no i can't even take a splinter out of my finger um but see i thought when they killed the goat the spirit went into the wife and then it the spirit killed the husband right away. Oh, like I'm still going with that spirit are, jumping. Okay. Thing, you but... are interpreting a completely different way. I am. That's interesting though. See, my interpretation is that she killed him because she knew that he just fucked up and he condemned their souls because yeah. she's bags him. She's like, if you shoot him, if you shoot them, you're condemning our souls and I'm pregnant, like our baby and he ignores her. So I, I, I felt like she killed him because she knew he just fucked up. Yeah, like maybe in this world, it's it's kind of like a drag me to hell thing where like you just sealed your fate, like our souls are condemned. Yeah, I didn't even think about it. I honestly did not. It didn't even cross my mind that she became possessed. That's interesting. That's really interesting. I wonder what the, you know, I wonder what the consensus is on that because that might <laughs> Let's thing get the she, filmmaker on the show. I would love that. Come on the show. <laughs> hey, we, we had Jamie Blanks from Urban Legend. If we can get him on, we can get this dude on. I would love to oh, yeah. talk to him. But no, I, so that's a good question for the audience. What's your interpretation of that? Do you think she became possessed or do you think she killed him and then killed herself because she knew, oh, we're fucked? <laughs> yeah. It really works both ways because we weren't told enough to really have a straight answer. No, it really works both. You're right. It really does work. Either way, it's fucking horrifying. Yeah, uh, because this pregnant woman axes herself in the face. Oh yeah. yeah, and if I can give a special shout out, I love when horror movie posters highlight one scene. Like this isn't as climactic as this poster with the axe and the woman, but like Slither when the girl's in the bathtub with all the things, and that's actually a part in the movie. Like I always just I love whenever a poster highlights an important part of a movie, and when that part comes on, you're like, oh, that's where that's from. I just like it. I don't know why. No, it's cool. And it's a creepy image. Like I love the poster art for this. It's so simplistic. I know there's another one that's a little bit more elaborate and and whatnot, but I think the one with just the red with the image of the woman holding the ax towards her face is, is quite effective, honestly. Yeah. 
we cut to Pedro and Jaime's place and they get a knock on the door and it's Maria Elena's son basically telling them that he went over to Ruiz's and found a goat dead and found Ruiz dead and found his wife dead and his mother disappeared. And so he is like, I, I need some place to stay. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Pedro is a little hesitant to let him stay, but Jaime's like, well, you can stay out in the um, the saddle room. You have to leave first thing in the morning. And you can never come back. Uh, and as he is leaving, they, they make sure that they take his gun away from him. Um, and they tell him when you get to the barn, do not turn on any electricity. Don't turn on any lights because as you know, another rule is about electricity and lights because apparently the shadows, uh, that, that, lights cause call the evil so i mean we're we're finding out yeah that this this small little community is is definitely starting to to fall apart and it's you know it all stems from the actions of <laughs> these three guys honestly are what trigger everything and the, so the next yeah the next morning pedro jaime decide that they're gonna they're gonna leave they're leaving their land they're not taking anything but pedro wants to stop at his ex-wife's house to get his kids. So he stops, he knocks on the door. Her, her new husband answers, uh, says, Hey, I need to, I need to see Sabrina. I need to see my kids. I need to change the clothes. And the husband, the new husband's obviously tentatively like, uh, I don't know if I should let you in, but he bursts in and he literally starts getting naked, undressing right in their, right in their dining room. I'm like, shit. We see back. Balls. We see back balls. We see butt. Yeah. Well, the and so Sabrina, his wife, comes in, and of course she is freaking out. And there's again a dynamic that's hinted at that these two had a very tumultuous marriage. She has a lot of loathing for him. Uh, she's like, "Get the fuck out! You left me. You ruined my life. Why are you? Why are you trying to do this to me?" In the meantime, this family this new family or Sabrina's family have, have this dog. I don't know what breed of dog this is. Do you? Uh, it looks just kind of like a red Mastiff, but I know it's something different. Actually, it might be a cane Corso. That's what I thought. There, the, yeah, there's there. It's just a massive dog, a hunk of dog. Yeah. It looks cute. It's cute. Uh, <laughs> it is cute. Uh, I love this scene. I'm going to tell you like the build up to the, the build up to what happens, I think is very, very expertly done. Um, mm -hmm. but because the, okay, so we see the dog go over to Pedro's clothes and start licking them. Okay. And we know just from that action that probably something is going to happen with this dog. Um, and so as Pedro is trying to get his, tell his wife, listen, I need to take the kids because there is a rotten in town. Um, and we're going to be fucked. Like if, if we don't get out of town, we're, we're screwed. Like you, you need to listen to me. And she is just screaming at him. In the meantime, the camera keeps cutting between them arguing and the little girl in the dining room with the dog. Right. And it's, I don't know when I first watched it, I knew I just had a feeling something was going to happen. Did you? Yes. Because I was like, one of these kids is going to get it. I don't know which one. Cause we don't really know which one is. We don't really know the family dynamic yet. We just know it's his ex-wife and some kids. <laughs> yeah. And so they, they, I think they do a really good job of, I wouldn't even say there's a buildup really to it, but I think because the scene kind of 
drags on and on with with the arguing that it makes it a little bit um just jar it makes it a little jarring for the audience because sabrina the actress is is giving it her all she's having a fucking conniption fit she's screaming at the top of her lungs okay he you know the the husband her new husband's trying to call the police and in the meantime we're just cutting intermittently to to the little kids so it's not like there's a big build up to what's about to happen specifically focused on what's about to happen but it's just a lot of chaos Right. Yeah. It's like visual hot potato. Yes. Like, you know, something's going to happen, but you don't know when. And I was already pretty triggered because their arguing <laughs> was taking me back to my childhood when I used to live with my grandma and my parents and my aunt and my uncle. And I had a specific aunt and uncle that were not very uh, healthy relationship. And I used to hear that sometimes. So I was already on edge like, uh, I feel really uncomfortable right now. <laughs> oh yeah, no, this is a this is a pretty explosive fight. I mean, and they're they're she's letting it loose. She's like, "You are a horrible father. You you didn't even want your, you gave me you know you didn't even want your kid." Because we find out, backtrack a little bit, because I think this is important. So he has two kids with Sabrina. He has Santino, who is a little about maybe seven eight year old boy, cute as a button, and then he has Jair, who is a teenager but is severely autistic, right? Uh, severely autistic. So there's that sort of dynamic there dealing with this autistic child that, that he's trying to console and to get out of the house and stuff. Okay. So in the midst of this argument, this dog, Roger is its name. Coincidentally, Roger. <laughs> I mean, out of fucking nowhere, this, like I said, no buildup. There's just, we just hot potatoing back and forth between the argument and the little girl sitting with a dog, this fucking dog latches onto this little girl's head. It happens so quickly. Just turns to her, whoosh, grabs her by the head and takes off with her under the table. Yeah. Uh, this was the second viewing. Uh, this is where I turned it off the second time. <laughs> I think this is probably when a lot of parents turn this film off. Yeah, and it wasn't because I didn't like it. I fully was appreciating it and wanted to finish it i just because i have a habit of watching movies before i go to sleep i didn't because i have a daughter that kind of looks like this girl i was like this is gonna give me a dream that i'm not gonna want to have so let's just let's finish this in the daylight tomorrow no i i totally get that uh and not only i mean so because here's the thing is not only is the the that initial like bite of her head traumatizing we've then are treated to something even more disturbing in my opinion is like, cause little Santino has seen this, you oh, know, yeah. he was on the stairs. So he walks over and he, he cautiously looks under the, the dining room table and we literally get a shot of this dog with this girl, this girl's head in its mouth and it starts shaking it violently, like, and blood sprays everywhere. Her body hits the, it's, I've never seen anything like this in a film. Oh yeah, it was. It's aggressive. Like we all seen what when an angry dog gets a hold of a rabbit or a squirrel. That's literally what he did to this little girl. Yeah, and and you know, so Santino starts screaming. Look at look at what Roger did, and you know that the, the parents come over and Roger bolts out from under the table with the little girl still in his mouth and just goes outside, running down the street with this little four year old girl, it a bloody mess in its mouth. And the husband, the new husband has not been mean to Pet Pet Pedro. Yeah. Has not been mean to Pedro. He has not he's 
very calm and he is not on Pedro's side, but he's also trying to calm the wife down with Pedro. And so it's not like the guys hate each other. And so this is kind of a powerful part where he's like, you need to help me. This is your child's sibling. And so I thought that was, you know, because we never really get that. It's always usually like, oh, that's your kid. You worry about that. Yeah, no, they seem to be, yeah, there's not a lot of animosity between the two husbands. There's a lot of animosity between Sabrina and Pedro, but the husband, the new husband seems to be like able to separate himself from it. But yeah, so he runs outside. He's chasing after this dog. Uh, Pedro runs into a police car and tells the police officers what happened. And their only response is, hey, you're not supposed to be around your wife. Remember, remember the restraining order? I'm like, dude, he just told you a little girl and that's all you care about. Yeah. Um, but then as he's talking to the, the police officer, he hears gunshots. Cause he tells him not to kill the dog. He does, but we hear the gunshots and we know now, well, he just screwed himself. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, so he, he, Pedro wanders over to where he heard the gunshots and he literally sees Leo is the new husband's name, Leo standing over the dog and he shoots it one more time. And you tell Pedro's defeated. He's like, shit, he knows. He just, his whole body deflates and he kind of walks back to, to, uh, the house. But when he gets back there, what, what do we see? We see little, what was her name? I don't even know what her name is. Uh, Vicky. Vicky. It's little Vicky, unscratched, unmauled, perfectly fine, running up to her mom and giving her a hug. Yeah. I was like, oh shit. So back to your point about, you know, the you know the possession jumping from person to person i think this is a really good um uh point in terms of you could be right that the possession did jump to the wife when she killed the husband because how how quickly vicky is possessed yeah like it's just like that the dog is dead and now vicky's perfectly fine she's running up to her mom but we know something isn't right because we literally just saw this little girl be shaken like a fucking rag doll in this big dog's mouth yeah, Pedro goes inside and he's trying to find his keys. So he's telling Jair, remember Jair, you're severely autistic. Hey, I will take you for apple ice cream if you, you know, once we get out of here. And Jair is able to lift his dad's head up or hand up and put it kind of like in this drawer thing. And he gets the keys. And which I thought was kind of was kind of cool. But outside, little Vicky's telling her mother, Sabrina, she, she says, dad's going to kill you when he gets back with his car. He's going to come home and boom i like how pedro's just like you know what she didn't listen to me i'm gonna use this time to my advantage and go get my kids and let her deal with that yeah yeah um yeah no he he knows i think because he knows he knows like that this family's fucked up like because it's it's the family that's gonna suffer it's not him because he had nothing to do with killing the dog you know, Leo killed the dog. So now it's Leo and his family. They're going to suffer the consequences and they do. So Pedro has no choice, but to just like get the fuck out of there. Um, and he does, he gets Santino and Jair and puts them in the car and takes off. <laughs> and as he's driving, like here comes Leo in a fucking truck out of nowhere. Like he has to swerve to avoid hitting uh, Pedro and the, their car. And he, he runs right in to his wife and smashes her up against the house, killing her. Bye, Sabrina. Well, even more disturbing is like when Pedro or when Leo comes to, you know, because he, he he smashes in his house. But when he comes to, he looks and he sees his little daughter, Vicky, doing a happy dance off to the side. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's because they're both demons now, I guess. Yeah, I, it's yeah. I mean, these people are just getting possessed left and right. This is very much like the beginning of the remake of Dawn of the Dead, <laughs> where shit's yeah. just going crazy. Yes, I got that saying. Yeah, cars crashing into houses, people just getting possessed. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely get that vibe. So Pedro goes and gets uh, Jaime, and not only Jaime, but he's, he's also his mother. He picks up his nice mother, who seems like a very sweet woman. I liked this woman a lot. Yeah, she's my favorite character, honestly. Yeah, she gets, I mean, she, I mean, she doesn't get a lot to do, but I think she's pretty effective. Um, oh, she's the one that lays down the, the Freddy Krueger rules. <laughs> she does in this particular scene because she has Santino and Santino's asking her what a possessed is. And she tells them that basically a possessed, once it gets into your body, it, it needs to, your belly to be reborn, to be born into the world as evil. And then she tells them that there are seven rules for keeping mm-hmm. the possessed away from you. It's a song. Yeah, there is a song. I don't, she doesn't sing it, but she, I'm trying to, uh, there's seven rules. It's like, you don't, don't be around animals. Uh, don't use electricity or lights. Don't shoot them with firearms. Yeah. There's a couple weird ones that they didn't even really t- touch on. Like no one did it, but they just kind of included it. Yeah, she doesn't say all seven of them because that what happens is Pedro yells at her to, to shut up and to quit quit talking about it. I know, which my mom would have slapped the shit out of me. I don't care how old I am, um, but I was really afraid. I was scared. I was really afraid at this part because of all the crazy shit that was going on. So Santino's in his grandmother's lap and she's like telling him this stuff like it's a nursery story, and I'm like, and he's asking her questions like getting more information. Oh, one of them was not to name the demon. Don't call the demon by its name. And so she does. And he's like, you did it. And she's like, oops. And I thought he was just going to grab something and stab her in the face. And we we were going to be surprised that he was possessed. Luckily, that didn't happen. But I was sitting there watching this scene like something's going to attack her. (laughs) I mean, which is great, which is a great sign of like great filmmaking, because this film has already set the, 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 the standard that like anything can happen like at any given time. So, yeah, I would I. I mean, you're on your, I think you're on the edge of your seat for most of this film because you are, you do realize nothing is off limits and nobody is really safe, not even little girls. So they stop for ice cream because remember the dad, uh, Pedro promised Jair ice cream, apple ice cream. They don't have money. I mean, again, this plan like is the most half brain plan ever. And it's like Pedro is... You know, it's hard to like feel sympathy for him as a character because of all this stupid shit he does. So you're you're planning to get your kids, your mother, to get out of town, but you don't take any money. Yeah, and then he it's like is demanding his mom give him money. I'm like, how old are you? Yeah, and she's like, I thought she's like, I thought you were going to pay for everything. Um, yeah, it's just like there wasn't a lot of thought put into this. And I guess maybe I understand it. All hell's breaking loose, but come on. Yeah, I know. I felt kind of bad because I don't know if. We don't really see the conversation that Jaime has with the mom because Jaime goes and gets the mom while um, Pedro is supposed to be getting his kids. So we don't know what he told the mom. And the mom's even like, are you sure it was a rotten? Are you? Do you know what you saw? Like, it was probably something else. And she was the level-headed one, but she didn't see anything to kind of help them with this plan. 
Yeah. She's just going along with it because they're, they're kind of, you know, I wouldn't say making her, but they're, I mean, she's, she's involved now. Yeah. Well, also this is the moment that her phone rings. Like she wasn't supposed to bring anything like electronic, but she brought her (laughs) cell phone and it rings and it's Sabrina. And I love the the grandmother's like, she's like, here, talk to your mom. (laughs) She tries to give the phone to Santino, but Pedro answers it. And it is Sabrina. And, you know, she's like, I want my kids back. You know, and then she just starts berating him, calling him like a worthless little man. This is why I cheated on you. This is why I fucked everybody because you're a worthless, tiny little man. And you gave me a broken kid. You, you didn't even want him to be born. You wanted to kill him. And, you know, he like, he says, all he says is Sabrina, I saw you die. And he like smashes the phone and just has a breakdown, which I guess I, I don't blame him. Did they in maybe I'm just like because this is in Spanish, so like I could understand a bit of it, but I think Argentina uses or Argentina uses different some different words than like Spanish spoken in Mexico that I'm more familiar with. Uh, so I was half reading and half listening, but did they insinuate that Sabrina slept with Jaime? It is, and it actually it comes back later in the film too. I am glad you caught that because it is very much insinuated. And then there's a moment later on in the film where I think it's hammered home, right? That Jaime and Sabrina were having an affair. Yeah. She's just an adventurous woman. Which is just, yeah. I mean, because she's like, that's why I fucked everybody. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. so he slams the phone out. Jaime comes and asks him what's wrong. And he, t- he just, he's, he's like, Jaime, Sabrina's dead. Like I saw her die. This is all my fault. I'm glad he fucking admits that he does say it's all, he does admit it's all my fault. I took the evil to her. Perfect. You're 100% right. I'm glad you're taking responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And the, honestly, the person who needs to hear this isn't listening or isn't involved in the conversation, but the grandmother needed to hear that. Because she keeps asking. She's like, why do you have Sabrina's car? What kind of plan do you have with Sabrina about using her car and taking the kids? And he's like, mm. I was like, just tell her she's dead. Like, she, the world's already falling apart. Just tell her she's dead. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to. Things are about to get 20 times worse. Telling the mother, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so Jaime's response is, you know what? I, I, I know somebody that could probably lend us some money. She lives really close to here. Let, let's go. And we are introduced then to, and I love, I like this, Murda. Uh, Murda is probably my favorite character. She's like a no nonsense. Oh yeah. She's, she's, cool. she's my kind of guy. She tells it how it is. No nonsense. Not going to spare your feelings. I, I like Murda a lot. Yeah. And you know what I kind of realized? This movie has a lot of gender reversals of what's typically shown. Like, I feel like if this was an American movie, it would have been about two sisters and the people that play the women would have been men. You are right because let's let's be real here. Murda in this film is the baddest, and I mean, I mean that in a good way. Yeah. Character like she, she's a boss ass bitch. She is a boss ass bitch, which makes what happens to her. I I'm, I hate. It makes me dislike Pedro even more because it's his fault what happens to her as well. Uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> you know, and they get to Murda. She comes out. You know, Jaime introduces her. She's like, you're, you, I have no electricity, but you, I have plenty of room for you to stay. And Pedro's like, nope, we're going into town. And she's like, yeah, whatever. So she walks away. Jaime is trying to convince Pedro, we need to stay here. We need to rest. Pedro's like, no, 
we're going to town. Don't try to fucking change the the plan now. Well, the problem is, as Jaime explains, she has the money, but it's in the bank and she can't get it until Monday. So we can either stay here and rest or we'll just have to meet her at the bank anyways. We'll have to come back and meet her at the bank anyways. Well, I, I think kind of the final nail in the coffin to have Pedro agree to this is the fact that uh, Jair, who has just been in the back of the car with grandma, just you know, moaning the entire time, he has pooped himself and he needs changed. Uh, I was going to say, uh, when he's like, he, I forgot what he said. It's like, caca. <laughs> he caca himself. Um, that just brings a whole nother level of anxiety. Because there's another movie that, that um, I don't know if you've seen Burning Bright, but, you know, mo- movies where you have to escape something and sometimes you have to, like, be quiet or, like, hide. And they introduce... Um, like a severely autistic character that, you know, you can't necessarily tell them to be quiet. Like it just brings so much more anxiety to the film. Yeah. Bernie, is that the one about the, like the tiger? Yeah. Tiger's loose in the I house haven't seen and that. the sister has the autistic. Brother. Okay. I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's really good. I need to check it out. It's pretty intense. Yeah. I've heard that. I've heard about it. It's been out for a long time and I still haven't. So again, my film, my film consumption is mainly films for this podcast. Yeah. So they decide they're going to stay with Murda, um, who we find out has a pretty extensive knowledge about possessed and rottens. And we it comes to find out she's a, a cleaner herself, as it's revealed, because when she's inside with with Jaime, she tells him that Jair looks like a rotten. <laughs> and you think she's being mean at for No, and it's really funny because you think she's be just being a bitch, you know, but she's not like he's like. No, he's just autistic. And she's like, no, no, no. You told me that, but there's something not right with him. Yeah. And they're just shrugging it off like, no, it's just his autism. But she's like, no, like she, he has signs. Yes. Well, and so they have this conversation about how she saw Possessed one time. And um, he's like, yeah, you told me you saw Possessed that one time and that you've just gotten used to living, um, living around them. And she's like, did I really tell you that? And he says, yeah, yeah. And he says, well, I think I saw a possessed today. And she's like, well, I don't know, because if you saw one, you wouldn't be seeing you think you saw one. You would know you saw one. Yeah. I mean, she is she, like I said, she turns out to be my favorite character because like she is she's we get a lot of uh, kind of background information filled in by her and her character. And I, I, I appreciate that. And like, she has given a little bit of a, a backstory that's revealed that makes, that makes sense. Like, she's just not like thrown into the film. Like there's specific things that are revealed that, that make her, I just feel like a very interesting dynamic character. Yeah. And she had a, which was kind of funny because she's older than the men a little bit. And she, I think, uh, Pedro asks Jaime how he knows her and it's they had like some sort of romantic past <laughs> so yeah yeah which I thought was interesting too because she does I mean we're not I mean she does look much older than the two men and if she is much older but it's uh, it's interesting because yeah that that it leads him to have the conversation with with Jaime about how he's always been a love bird like that he would cry at the end of the school year because he was going to miss his teacher so much. And so he just, it just makes sense that he has this, this random woman out in the middle of nowhere that he has this uh, affection for. 
Yeah, he's a player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a conversation because this poor grandmother, come on. This poor grandmother, they have kept her out in this car. It's fucking pitch black out. This grandmother still in the back seat with, uh, with Jair, which I don't know if they've changed him yet or not, but she's back there. She'd been back there the whole time. Uh, finally, Pedro's like, well, maybe I should go sit with, with, uh, Jair and give grandma a break. You think, you think you're going to yeah. look. Yeah. Because uh, it's established that Jair will not get out of the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he uh, he's his mind is set on getting ice cream. And since they weren't able to buy any, he's just every time they talk to him, he mentions the ice cream and he's not moving. Um, and it's insinuated that he's basically not going to move until he gets the ice cream. Yeah, a little. Yeah, I mean, whew. dealing with that on top of everything else. Can you imagine? Yeah. Yep, it's it's intense. Um, but. <laughs> My favorite character, the grandmother, is about to do something that I was like, okay, well, that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> well, well, she's in bed with with Santino, right? She has her cell phone with her. Yeah. And the cell phone is obviously on because it's it's projecting light and it's like very bright. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, we, we cut then to Jair in the car. Pedro's there, but he's sleeping, so he doesn't see this. But this figure approaches the the car window next to Jair and smashes its bloody hand against the window. Um, and then like a few minutes later, Grant, we cut back to grandma and she, she wakes up and there at the foot of the bed is Sabrina holding Santino. And like this grandmother is like, Oh, Sabrina, I'm glad you're here. Like what? It's the middle of the fucking night. Like, I was wondering why this her reaction wasn't a little bit more like, what the fuck are you like? It's two, three o'clock in the morning. Why are you? How'd you find us? Why are you here? But she's like, oh, I'm glad you're here. I'm feeling a little drowsy because of my sleeping pills. <laughs> yeah, I I from. So this is why I was like, it's really important for the grandmother to have heard everything that the men were talking about, because in her eyes, they just took the kids and her son's being shady when he, she's asking questions about their mother, basically. So, you know, the mom shows up at three in the morning to get her kids. To me, if that's if I only knew that story, that's not unrealistic. Like, you know, it's fucked up to take someone's kids without their permission, even if they're, you know, conjoined parents. Um, And I also think if she took something like Zoloft, it doesn't make you think very well. Not Zoloft, um, the the sleeping one. Ambient or whatever it is. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it. um. You know, if you wake up in the middle of that, you're going to be sometimes people don't even remember what they're doing when that happens. But she sure did wake up 30 minutes later when she's downstairs. <laughs> yeah. So she's. Yeah. Uh, but Sabrina figures like I came for my kids. They need me. I'm going to take them to a place where no one can harm them. And then all of a sudden we cut back out to the car and Jaime rushes out and bangs on the window and tells Pedro he needs to go inside. Something's wrong. Um, so they go in the side and the grandmother's having a fucking breakdown. She's like, I thought I saw Sabrina, but I don't think it was really her, but she has Santino and I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm scared. Yeah. This is the only part that like really frustrated me because I feel like if that was really someone's grandma, cause he comes in the house and she's just standing there on the bottom of the stairs, staring up and I'm like, no bitch. Like a real grandma would be screaming her fucking head off. Like if her grandchild was being taken away by someone that she doesn't think is a person. I know, but it's all, it, I think it plays into the fact that 
everyone in this film has to me like very understated reactions to what's happening. I mean, we, we mentioned, we mentioned that at the beginning of the podcast, I think everyone's reactions to what's going on in this film are very, very understated. Like the only person in this film that ends up seeming seemingly to have any sense of urgency is uh, Murda. Um, so that yeah, so uh, Pedro goes upstairs and he literally sees Sabrina with holding Santino, and she tells him, "I came for my children; they need me." And then she proceeds to literally jump out the fucking window. Oh, I know. I'm just thankful we didn't hear a splat because I thought that was going to be the end. Well, they so he runs back downstairs. He gets they they run outside to try to find what happened. They go to the car. The car now is literally covered in blood, like covered in blood. Yeah. So uh, Jair's still in there. So Pedro has to break the window to get into him. Uh, everyone's frantic. People are running around to get flashlights. Uh, Pedro runs off into the woods. Murder comes outside, and she calls Jaime over and she's like, Jaime, he, look at the kid. He is possessed. And Jaime's like, no, no, he's not. He, he's just, that's how he is. I told you that. She's like, no, come here. Look at, he's possessed. Look at his hands and look at his feet. So Jaime comes and looks at his hands and they're all like uh, curled up like claws almost. Contorted and stuff. Yeah. And I thought this was an interesting little reveal because she says that she has seen this in autistic people before. And what happens is the demons can get into their body, but then when they get into their mind, since they're autistic, they can't figure their minds out. So they get stuck. Yeah. But she does say they do eventually find out, like they do eventually possess them. It just takes them longer. Yes. They could be in there for a long time, but eventually they will become possessed. So she takes Jaime into the house. They, she tells him they need to help her get all of her stuff ready. They open up a chest of tools um, that are basically the exact same tools we saw at the beginning of the film. Like that, that gold, like almost like it looks like a telescope type thing. I don't even know what it is. Yeah. It looks Uh, like it reminded me of like those old cameras that would use like one light bulb for the flash. Yeah. It's just, so obviously I think, Without it being said, it's established that there there is a means to kill these things. Like you have to use whatever this device is. Yeah. Because the cleanser at the beginning who was killed had it on him, obviously. We see it. And then she has it as well. Um, it's some sort of contraption that like, I don't know, you put a, you put a blade onto it. And you're, we find out kind of later at the end of the film. Uh, but she does reveal to him that the seventh rule is you cannot be afraid of dying. Because the evil knows your fears better than you do. Yeah. So they have to find the rot and they have to kill it before the beast is born. Because once the beast is born, it's out, it's free. And this is when they tell her that they moved. They moved uh, Uriel and she calls them idiots. <laughs> you idiots, you moved a rotten. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and then they just they head out to find to find uh, where Uriel is. And um, as they're going out, I thought this was a nice little touch. Murda does notice that all of the lights in town are off, which is a sign that they kind of put in like the emer- like whatever the emergency. Uh, what do you want to call it? Emergency thing in place if all your lights are off. So obviously emergency rotten alert. Yeah. Everybody turn your lights off. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously this this is like widespread. I was just going to say, and this is where they go and meet those freaky ass kids, the cult of 
the children of the corn. <laughs> God, these kids. Yes, but so while while Myrna is riding with Pedro, she does basically tell them or tell Pedro that she has had experience with rottens. Like she, her and her husband at a church, one showed up, um, puked one night. She thought it was a joke until it started puking up remnants of the of its family that it ate the night before. Uh, and at that point, monks showed up, sh- basically taught them how to kill the rottens before they were born. And she has been a cleanser ever since and one night her husband did not return and that's when she left town to live in this isolated area and so yeah so we get a background with her um and then we cut to Jaime driving and he sees Sabrina walking down the street right oh yeah and this was probably the most shocking scene for me she is carrying little Santino and as she's walking, she's literally ripping parts of his brain out and eating it. Because I was like, that's fucked up. They're just going to kill the little girl and then just like let these little boys live. And then I was like, oh, no, I was very wrong. <laughs> oh, no, this little boy. does. Uh, I was like, Are, is she doing what I think she's doing? And yes, she is. Yeah, it's fucked up. I mean, so he sees it. He stops the car and there's... If we thought one time seeing her do it was enough, we get it another time because he walks by the car. When she walks by the car again, she just literally just reaches into his head, pulls out brain matter, eats it, blood. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Yeah. And of course, Jaime reacts like I think, you know, you you in the heat of the moment, you don't think. But he then runs his car into her um, and she he smashes her into a tree. So she's his her body's on his hood. Pedro. And Murda arrived to the area where he thinks that the body must have fallen out. And Murda notices that there's a sign for a school. And she said, that is where they are because evil likes children and children like evil. As everyone knows. I kind of like that. I kind of like that little phrase because, you know, I don't know. Um, I feel like it plays well, into the idea of how, how easy, easily children can be manipulated, right? Into thinking yeah. something is good when it's really not. Uh, oh yeah that's what i was thinking too like uh, easily convinced and you know molded into whatever you want them to be well and i I think the film one thing that we haven't really touched on is the film sort of has i I don't think it's heavy-handed at all but there's kind of an underlying religious theme to the film uh and the fact that the film i think maybe has a less than positive view of religion um and the characters, several times the characters are saying the church is dead. Don't even talk about the church. We don't We don't need the church. And then the fact that children love evil, children can be easily manipulated. And you look at like the history um, with some churches, Catholic churches specifically, and, and how they've treated children, specifically boys and stuff like that. And so there's all this stuff that could be inferred, I think. Uh, and again, the film's not heavy handed with it, but just like these little tidbits you get, right? Yeah, because I totally forgot about the whole church is dead thing until you just mentioned it. And now I'm wondering what the story behind that is. Yeah, I'm just wondering if the fact that it's, you know, they realize, I don't know if the, a bunch of these people realize that the church has no, like the church isn't able to help. It's only these people that are, you know, trained to cleanse specifically. So because remember the mother earlier in the film, um, Uriel's mother said that she thinks it's her fault that the possession got so out of hand because when, when she first found out she, he was possessed, she prayed and prayed and prayed, but nothing happened. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and then we get this moment. So they go, Murda and Pedro head to the school. Back at the car, there's this just little moment, but I think it's really important because we talked about it earlier, where Sabrina looks up at Jimmy and she says to him before she dies, she says, Jimmy, you told me you loved me. And I just think that's very, very, very telling that, the, yes, Jimmy and uh, Sabrina had an affair. There's a lot of issues in this whole marriage and whatnot, mm-hmm. but yeah. Family. <laughs> and then again, this, this this next moment, I love how there's just like no buildup to it. It just happens and you're like, what the fuck? The grandma's sitting in, in the living room and all of a sudden who comes waltzing in? Perfectly fine. Higher. Higher. I was like, what the hell? He comes in. He's like, hey, grandma, uh, I'm cold and I'm hungry. Can you make me something to eat? <laughs> yeah. And he just grabs a blanket off the couch, touches her. And you can tell this. She is like, oh, damn she yeah. knows exactly what's up she's gooped yeah her reaction here is really really great i think a great piece of acting i was gonna i was actually about to say like i one of the things that kind of attracted me to her was her naturalness of playing a grandmother like maybe it's because i'm mexican so i had a grandma like mm-hmm. her and it's just very believable you know, the reactions, except leaving him upstairs while she, <laughs> that's only the only one thing, but that's not her fault. That's writing. Um, but acting wise, she was phenomenal. Yeah, she is. She's great. Like her reactions to specific things um, are, are, are pretty effective, I think. Uh, so yeah, Pedro and, and Murda get to the school. Um, she tells him to turn off flashlights and all that stuff. No electronics. There's this creepy moment where they peer into the window and they just see a bunch of kids just sitting in this classroom, pitch black. Keep in mind, it's dark out. They're just sitting there in these desks doing nothing. I don't think I could think of anything creepier than that. Yeah. I didn't even know if they were alive or not. Whew, these kids. Uh, I don't know. Well, they go into the school and, you know, these kids are just sitting there. So they're asking, they ask the students, hey, do you know... Have you seen anybody that's hurt? Are you hiding him? And the kids shake their head. No. Um, you know, one of this, one of these kids, these kids have like shit all like white powder. And we don't really find out what it is until later, but like the one girl wipes her face with it and it just, she gets like the white powder all over her mouth. Yeah. Yeah. A murder runs outside and she's like gagging and he, Pedro comes on. He's like, what's wrong? She said, can't you smell them? Like, I don't know if I can handle this. I've never seen anything like this. When all of a sudden this little boy comes right up on his bike. <laughs> I mean, these are some of the most ominous fucking kids in, in horror film history. Yeah. And when they talk to them, they establish pretty quickly that you can't really trust them. It's almost like that riddle. If you ask someone that you know is a liar a question and they answer this, what's the real answer? I kind of was getting those vibes when the little girl is like, uh, he's over here, like telling him basically to go somewhere really far away. And Myrna's like, no, that means he's here because she's trying to get us to leave. Yeah. Well, the little boy does too. The little boy tells them that he, that Uriel's down at a uh, schoolmaster's house, which is down the road. And then, you know, as they get into the truck, yeah, that one little bitch comes out. And, you know, she's like, no, he's at my house. My daddy is trying to take care. And I love the fact that fucking uh, Pedro just slams the car door open and like starts beating the shit out of this girl. He's like punching her. He's oh, like, you I little. Know. 
And it shows it all too. Like I was like, okay, I know she's evil, but like you're she they're beating the shit out of this. Maybe she's like nine or ten year old girl. <laughs> he is on top of her wailing on her, you little bitch, you fucker. Yeah, and she's like, eh. Um <sighs> Yeah, but but Murda figures out because they are trying to get them to leave the property that he has to be there. Uh and sure enough, he runs inside and he sees on state on the stage that this white powder is on the stage. So he takes a hammer and starts busting through the stage floor. And sure enough, there are like dead bodies of the teachers in there <laughs> and they're covered in this powder. We find out it's lime powder, right? The little girl comes in and says they, yeah, the little girl comes in and says it helps with the smell. So Murdoch tells her to go get us, go get her stuff, but don't run, go, go very slowly. And yeah, when he goes out, the little girl starts like yelling, you need to leave. You're going to die if you stay. But they don't listen and and Pedro comes back in and they dig through the floorboards. And sure enough, as he's pulling these dead teachers out, that fucking big blob of Uriel is there. (laughs) He reminds me of, do you remember 13 Ghosts, the remake, the ghost baby with the mom? Oh, yeah. That's what he looks like with a throw up coming down. Yeah, we just covered 13 Ghosts a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah, y'all did. That you was didn't my... like it, did you? I, you know, I know people are like, how do you, I did not say I didn't like it. It just was, um, I had some issues with it, but entertaining. <laughs> I did mention that those two were my favorite. That broad and her obese child were definitely my favorite. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, now they're in this one. Oh, yeah. But I, this is, yeah. And of course, he starts begging. Uh, Pedro to kill him and you know oh this pissed me off can I just tell you oh me too I was like you stop making such you know what you should have died (laughs) I know (laughs) okay so Murda has this contraption and she's telling him this is the only thing that it's like this I don't know it's it's kind of almost like a elaborate like bow and arrow I'm assuming this thing is going to like shoot it into his but she's telling him you have to lift him up because I have to put this spike through his nape so you have to lift him up I have to he's like I can't I can't I'm going to have to demolish the whole floorboards to get him up and she's like well do it then we I have to we have to do this hurry up well in the meantime the little girl's like oh well there's an axe in the office go get it I just saw it and Murda's like no don't you fucking dare go get it uh, don't leave me alone. Yeah, we've established we've established this little bitch is lying. Is he, a big liar. Like a, I don't know why he <laughs> he just beat the shit out of her for lying. Yeah. <laughs> but add to this a stupid decision Pedro makes number 530. He leaves Murda, runs into the office to look for this axe. Gets in the office, immediately sees it's not there. And it, the kids immediately shut the door and lock him in. And we hear poor, poor Murda screaming and a bunch of ruckus. And he runs to the door and looks out and he sees that the kids have basically attacked Murda. They have her on the floor. They're dragging her across the floor. And we get several graphic shots of that little bitch bashing Murda in the head with the hammer. I'm like, I was so pissed. I was so pissed. But the cool thing is her face, Myrna's face, it was very much like, I fucking told you. And she wasn't afraid of dying, like she said, because she's not, she's not really like fighting back. She's not 
in anguish. She's just like kind of accepting that she's going to die <laughs> and disappointed. Well, yeah, I'm wondering, you know, I, I kind of wondered about that because this, she has said that she, she made the comment earlier that she's dealt with dozens. She's killed dozens of possessed in her life. So to me, it was like, oh, so this, this girl, this woman has been doing this for a long time, but then her ultimate demise is kids. Like she couldn't fight off kids, but maybe it is because she's like accepted the fact that this is, this is what's supposed to happen to me because even in the truck, she tells him, I wonder if the, because I've killed so many of them, because I've, you know, this has been my life. I wonder if that's why they're here. They're here for me. Well, I just thought of this and tell me how much of a genius you think I am. Um, (laughs) So they said that the evil knows your fears more than, you know, Because when he leaves, she's like, don't leave. Don't listen to her. Stay here. Don't leave. Blah, blah, blah. And when he finally leaves, right before he closes the door, she says, don't leave me alone. And then he closes the door and the kids lock him in. And maybe her fear all along has been to be alone. And she was left alone. And that's whenever she uh, got overcame by children. That, that's a good point. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, there's something going on with this character that she, yeah, like you said, that was her fear. So that's what ultimately ended her, led to her demise. Or she just accepted it because she, she thought that, yeah. they, that she's the reason why they were here, even though it's Pedro, obviously. Yeah. But, but he gets out. Um, he, he breaks out. He, I mean, immediately this, uh, this, this scene, this shot was really creepy to me when he gets out of the room, like the kids are out in the hallway, all of a sudden he, he hears somebody say Pedro and he looks over and all you see is that big blob of a head, like poking out of poking yeah. out of the stage hole. I'm like, Oh my God. And he's like, Pedro. And <laughs> it's funny to talk about it, but when you're watching it by yourself, it's pretty, it is, it is because he's like, Oh, it's just, his, it's just his head sticking out. And, yeah. you know, at this point, Pedro's like, what the fuck? He, he doesn't, he breaks another rule. Like he, he takes, he had access to, it's like he has access to the tool to kill this thing. I'm wondering why he just did. He, he, and she basically told him this needs to go in the nape. So why didn't he do that? Instead, he like picks up the, the, the tube of it and like bashes Uriel's headed. Now it's a great effect, but I'm like, you're fucking an idiot. She just told you how to kill this thing. <laughs> well, I think now we know why the evil doesn't kill him because it he makes it easier for them. This movie should be called Evil Gets Help from Pedro to Take Over the World. <laughs> yeah, they're like, dude, you're helping us. Yeah. Like, yeah, because the evil doesn't even the evil doesn't even fucking bother with him at the end of the film. They're like, fuck you, you're an idiot. We 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 aren't even we're not even that desperate yeah. to to need you. Thanks so. for the help. <laughs> yeah, so he yeah he bashes this thing's head in, and you know the kids come back in, and what happens? <laughs> the big blob gives birth. <laughs> The big blob gives birth to a a teenage boy, apparently. I don't know. A, a naked teenage boy covered in blood um, who proceeds to walk out from the stage, stop by Pedro and put his hand on Pedro's head. And there for a moment, I thought, OK, this thing is going to rip his scalp off. <laughs> I was expecting or to rip his head off or something. Nope. All it does is just wipe two blood smears across Pedro's forehead. Yeah. Spares him spares him and i think that's purposeful purposely done like they know his life he's going to be much more tormented knowing that he was the cause of all this yeah and just to live with it all 
Yeah, and then it then it walks into the woods. The kids follow. Pedro has no choice but to go back home. He finally gives Jair some ice cream. <laughs> oh yeah. There's one happy. Yeah, ending. he takes a shower. <laughs> I know they love showing this guy uh happy. Yeah, naked. this I mean, I'm this not is about the 12th shower this dude has taken in this film for real. <laughs> yeah. And then we get a final moment with, with Jaime going out to the barn and that kid, Maria Elena's kid is still out there. Like I thought he was supposed to be gone, but he's still living in the loft. Yeah. He's hiding up in the barn and he has some, uh, some tea to spill. He does. He does. His tea to spill is that a voice told him to kill the cleaner that came to kill Uriel. So he did. He killed the cleaner. He fed body parts to pigs and he ate from the body. <laughs> he ate. <laughs> I am like, what? So is he possessed? Is this kid possessed? Is that what we're supposed to gather? I, I think so. Because also if we're going with my theory that killing an evil transfers them into you, then technically Jaime is supposed to be, I thought he was going to get possessed as soon as he hits the mom. Uh, but he shows back up to the house. Fine. And then like hires back to the way he usually is. So I don't know if maybe evil lies dormant. Maybe that's what the sequel's called. Um, but <laughs> it must, because there's a lot going on because yeah, he's saying he ate from the body and then Jaime's like, well, what happened to your mother? And then he says, the same thing that happened to yours. Yeah. And then we cut to inside. Jair is having a coughing fit, like coughing, 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 hacking. Pedro's like, Jair, you have to eat slower. You have to eat slower. And, I, and he's just coughing. So Pedro goes to help him and he, he realizes he's choking. So he puts like his fingers into his mouth and like blood squirts out and then like hair. Mm hmm. Like globs of hair. He starts pulling globs of hair out of um, Jair's mouth and falls on the floor in a glop. And then we look over and he looks over and we see that the next thing that comes out of Jair's mouth is the gold little family necklace that the grandmother has worn through the entire film. And it falls onto the floor into this pile of blood. And there's this moment that I thought was really effective because when uh, Jair, like, did you catch it? He like looks over at his dad, like real quick, like his eyes shift over to look at his dad. Like, Oh shit. Did mm -hmm. you catch me? Like, uh Oh so my, my cover's blown. So it's insinuated heavily. I don't even think it's insinuated. It's basically cemented for us that he killed the grandmother and ate her. Yeah. Cause we know the little kid is the little kid in the barn said it's same thing happened to his mom. And we know he ate someone. And maybe, maybe that, I guess, ritual is what takes place for the demon to be born from your body, like Uriel. Because we've seen the demon possess people pretty quickly and do whatever they need to do. But Uriel, even though he was getting, he was a rotten, he was bloating up he was getting physically like his insights were rotting he was still him um sometimes and sometimes he was the demon so maybe that's the the connecting fibers is like maybe they're actually going to go through what uriel went through not like what the other possessed people went through yeah i mean this film 
God, it, it does leave you a lot of questions. I mean, there's so many things that are not fully fleshed out. And I wonder, you mentioned it. I think you probably just joking, but you mentioned a sequel. And I wonder if that's going to come to fruition at some point um, or if it's kind of a one and done film. I think it would work either way, but I am curious to know more about this universe and like what has, what's going on in the bigger cities, which is mentioned. Um, you know, so I don't know. Is a sequel on the horizon? Maybe. But the film ends basically with with him going outside and just like howling, realizing that really the only person he has left is his brother. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. The film ends on that note. Um, yeah, who might be possessed? <laughs> I have a, a hypothetical question for you. Uh, how would you have felt if this was in English and this was released as an Evil Dead sequel? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I see the parallels between Evil Dead. I can see why you're asking that. I had some, like, I was, because I was thinking about it, Rand. I have, my brain is weird. I was thinking about it and I was like, I feel like this is what Evil Dead would have turned into if they didn't go the comedic route and they just went straight horror. Yeah, this is, this film is bleak. This film is, is the tone of this film is very serious. Um, you, evil dead franchise i i don't know i like the f- i like the first evil dead i liked the evil dead remake um evil dead rise was was pretty good i am not a fan of evil dead 2 or army of darkness yeah i mean and i know that's almost like sacrilege to say in the horror community because so many people think evil dead 2 is better and i absolutely are, will argue it is not better than the first one the problem I have with Evil Dead is that Evil Dead Two is that it's just too comedic for me. Um, they took everything that made yeah. the first film sinister and dark and just made it funny, and it just to me, I, I that's not my thing. And so uh, I, I like the comparison to the original Evil Dead with this film because there are a lot of parallels. And yeah, I mean, I could see it, I could see it working quite quite well, and I'm glad like the Evil Dead remake you know, Fetty Alvarez's remake went back to the dark tone uh, because for me that work, that works better when you're dealing with like a possession film. Um, You know, so. Yeah. My brain went there because at the end of rise, it's kind of insinuated that this is going to start overtaking the city. And so like when I was, I don't know, my brain was like, okay, if we take that ending and we bleed it into when evil lurks, we have the perfect evil dead sequel. Yeah. I mean, in some of the, I mean, some of the effects and stuff and some of the shit that happens in this film is very evil, evil dead esque. Right. I mean, uh, the zombie or the, the creatures aren't maybe as charismatic as the evil dead creatures, but you know, they're not necessarily, you know, like this, that big lard thing isn't chasing people around it's kind of bedridden the whole thing i mean so but it's it's a it's a grotesque you know set piece um i'm just curious yeah i mean this this film leaves you on a bleak a a very bleak 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 ending like the grandmother's been devoured uh jair is obviously possessed we don't know if, if jaime's possessed because we just see him appear just after talking to the boy in the loft. So what happened with that boy in the loft? Did Jaime kill that boy? What ha- I don't know. So the film needs a lot of answers. So I'm just curious if a, if a sequel is, is on, would be something that is on this director's horizon. I, I don't know. Uh, I feel like this film has t- been talked about enough. It's getting a lot of attention. It's critically acclaimed. It's um, so I'm wondering what the future, if, if we're going to get like a, when the evil lurks world, 
Um, I would be fine either way. I think it, it works well as a one and done. It leaves us with a lot of questions, but then the, the kind of the selfish part of me wants some of these questions answered. Yeah. I mean, I, I would be fine if it was just one and done, but just knowing terrified and this movie, I'm curious how the director would approach a sequel because from what I've seen, he seems very mature and very, I mean, obviously he's indie. He's not, you know, doing this just for the money. So I feel like he would respect the story enough to take his time. Cause it, when you do something like this, that you have so much buzz about, it's hard to top it without try, seeming like you're trying too hard. Um, like we'll see what terrifier three does, you know, terrifier two had all this buzz cause of a bunch of shit. Like the bedroom scene is terrifier three going to try too hard to surpass that. I don't think that this director would suffer from that because he just seems so he knows his art. He knows what he's doing based off of what I've seen. Yeah. I mean, his, his, uh, just speaking off of this film, even though it has like fantastical elements, everything is so grounded in reality, in reality, you know? Um, so if you, if you were to do a sequel, I would like to see it kind of maintain that and not feel like it has to like top anything that this first film did, because I think uh, 90, 95% of what I've heard discussed about this film is definitely that dog scene. Um, and I wouldn't want him to feel like he has to top that. It's like you mentioned terrifier. That's a perfect example. You know, the first terrifier, everyone talked about that hacksaw scene, right? So in terrifier two, Damien Leone was like, Oh, I got to top that. I got to top that. And so he'd had that um, fucking long torturous bedroom scene. And now on Terrifier 3, how are you going to top that? And he's already saying, oh, the first five minutes of Terrifier 3 are, are going to be like super controversial. A studio could never, would never approve it. That's why I decided to go indie again with it yeah. because I want to make my vision, which I respect. But like at some point, like how you can't top, you know, I don't know. We'll see. I'm excited that Terrifier 3 is a Christmas themed horror film. Yes, for that. But um, yeah, guys, I, I mean, if you've seen this film, like kind of what are some of your interpretations would you want to see a sequel where would you want to see a sequel go i kind of like the fact that this film is kind of I, i'm going to use this word it's it's kind of a quiet film in terms of like it's just a small group of people there's not a huge cast of characters like usually like possession and outbreak films we're seeing like whole towns towns full of people this is a very small group of people that we follow through this journey so could the sequel take place in a city and we're introduced to more characters? Did you even want a sequel? I guess that's the question we're leaving you with. Yeah. I also want to hear from people that didn't like it. Cause I don't think I've heard anybody say negative things about it, but with that in mind, I haven't really seen, I haven't talked to a lot of people that have seen it in general. Yeah. I really haven't seen any like people like be like, Oh, this film is terrible. I haven't seen that yet. I'm sure it's coming because we know with horror fans, anytime a film gets critical acclaim or like like horror, a majority of horror fans seem to like it. There's going to be that group of uh, contrarians who have to come out and be like, no, it's the stupidest film I've ever seen in my life. I'm sure that's coming. Oh, I have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> uh, there's a lot. But, uh, but no, you know, so here's the thing is I'm super glad you picked this because like I said, we never do films this, this recent. I'm glad too. Cause I also want to see how it goes over. I'm going to be uh, selfish and tested on your podcast before I do mine. Uh, Cause I pay attention to like the listens and the views and 
from what I've seen, it seems like newer stuff, even though you'd think, oh, people don't want to hear about it yet. It seems to be more popular. So you have to tell me how your numbers do. So before I go and start implementing that on mine. <laughs> I, yeah, no, absolutely. I will. It's, it's kind of always interesting, like which films that we cover get the most listens. Like I was like, you know, Halloween two, for example, that the listens on that were insane the first day. Um, and then something like, of course, we released a uh, Patreon LA AIDS Jabber, which is a very obscure title. And of course, the listeners on that first day are not going to be very high. But um, it's just always interesting to me, like what what episodes get really good listens. And you're right. It's usually the pop, like Scream, any, all of our Scream episodes, you know, yeah. all that. Uh, yeah. So this is going to be a, a nice little test to see, like, can we do a really recent film and have it do well. If so, then you'll have to come on later this month, maybe for the Patreon episode and we can discuss Thanksgiving. Yes. I am super down for that. Yeah. Yeah. So guys, hopefully you enjoyed our discussion of when evil lurks. We got to thank Mikey Manshot for coming on. Mikey, let uh, remind the listeners like what, where they can find you, your podcast. Do you have a, like a social media for your podcast? Where can they find more information? Yeah, for sure. Um, You can find Slasher's podcast on any podcast aggregator. Um, If you want to give me a a little hello, you can find me on Instagram at Horror in a Half Shell. Um, I'm also on Facebook if you want to follow a film that I'm working on called Noelia. My name is Mikey Manshot on Facebook. Um, And if you want to see Noelia, the group, it's just Noelia with film in parentheses. But Kind of if you just follow my Instagram, most of my updates are there. But feel free to say hello. I like people. <laughs> well, we like you too. And again, uh, I really appreciate you taking time out of your 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 week, your day, your your, your evening to discuss when evil lurks. Um, but yeah, with that, guys, next week I'll have a, another special guest on. Um, I know the film we're covering, but uh, I'll let it be a surprise. It's a good one. We're we're going from something very recent to something from the late seventies, and I'll give you a hint: starring the lovely from that seventy show, Tanya Roberts. Any guesses, Mikey? Nope, <laughs> I don't know who Tanya oh. Roberts is. <laughs> oh well, you know, I think if I told you the title, you so it, some horror fans are going to know who it is. What is film she the this mom? Is right away. No, she was the, the 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 neighbor, the sexy neighbor um, mother. Is she a mother of like who is she the mother of in that seventies show? Maybe like Kelso or something. I don't remember the blonde. Um, hmm. I'll have to do my research and then make my own guess. Yeah, yeah. So we will be back next week with that, and then just guys keep Roger in your thoughts, and and hopefully he will uh, he'll be back with us sooner than later. Yeah. Yes, we love you, Roger. Yeah. So with that, guys, good evening and thank you for listening.